there, and if you would turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 33 is where we are tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 33, and we're getting pretty close to the end of the book of Second Chronicles, and slowly, right, Marty? Very slowly, 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 slowly. Uphill. <laughs> Uphills, slowly. Well. We're almost there, so... All right, Second Chronicles chapter 33. And let's go before the Lord and uh, pray, and we'll start there, chapter, verse 1. Father, we are, uh, uh, Lord, um, look to you tonight, Father, that you would just uh, lead and guide us, Lord, and open our hearts to receive your word. Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us as you're so faithful to do, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and for your love and for your grace, Lord. And again, you preserve these stories with us in mind because you um, want to speak to us. And you know, there's so much that we can grab a hold of and learn and know about you and learn about your heart uh, through the lives and the experience of others. And we don't have to uh, learn everything by uh, or through the school of hard knocks. Um, you want us to learn through the examples of others, the good and the bad. And so, Father, um, uh, uh, as we look into your word tonight, Lord, we know that we will see uh, your love and in your work in the worst of the worst, Father. And so we pray that you would just minister to us tonight, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hopefully you made your way there. Um, we've left off last time in Second Chronicles and spent a few weeks in uh, talking about Hezekiah, who was um, one of the greatest kings that, uh, that the nation had. A lot of people will compare him, even Chronicles compared him to David. He was, uh, you know, uh, 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 had a heart for the Lord like David. And so uh, probably... One of the closest, if not the closest, in some people's opinion, uh, of a king to uh, the heart of David, and and he, uh, we've been talking about the spiritual revival that that took place under him, a great uh, revival and great work and moving of the spirit of the Lord in the nation. But uh, now he has moved off the throne. We he has gone home to be with the Lord. At the end of chapter thirty-two, we saw. And just as we got a little short introduction in um, the end of chapter 32, his son Manasseh now comes to the throne. So verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 33 tells us, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Now Manasseh uh, held the position of king had the longest reign of king of, of all the kings combined of any not combined but of anybody uh, Israel or Judah he had the longest reign for 55 years which um, again was uh, very except, except, exceptional um, uh, in the fact that uh, you know 55 years is a long time we have uh, four years for our president four years for our governor um, and then they can be reelected for another four-year term. So, you know, we have typically on average, you know, on our, on our congressmen and our senators um, uh, uh, don't really have a, a limit on their reelection. And uh, although here in California we do on the House of Representatives or our state senate or our state um, 
Congress. There is there's term limits on on those guys. Uh, but uh, but again, just you know, typically there's there's limits on those those positions, and we do that for a reason. Um, but again, 55 years—that's a lot of people's lifetimes, right? Or at least a good chunk of somebody's life, which could be very good. Or it could be very bad, depending on the king, right? So, uh, but but it's important to know for our story. Again, he has the longest reign. Um, well, let's read a little bit more about him. Verse two, and as Chronicles is so faithful to do, it tells us who he is, how long he reigned for, and then good or you know, kind of the thumbs up or thumbs down by the Lord. And verse two tells us, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So now we find out that it was 55 years um, of, of a bad reign. As a matter of fact, a really bad reign. And um, uh, he, he did according to the people that... And actually, verse 9 tells us that he actually was worse than the people... Uh, that were living in the land before Joshua and the children of Israel came into the promised land. Worse. And, and uh, you might think to yourself, it might just strike this question in your mind, is that, well, wait a minute, Lord, why do you let the worst king, and, and I think there's probably hardly any argument that he was the worst king, and uh, there might have been worse, but they didn't live as long, but just stick with me, arguably the worst king uh, the nation ever saw, why would you allow him to reign for so long or reign the longest? I mean, why not just do one of those two months or three months or two weeks or, you know, at least six months or a year or something and then just, you know, just call it a day of the guy like that. Why would you allow him to continue to rule and to reign being so evil and so wicked? But that's one of those questions that comes to our mind. You know, we can ask and question the Father in so many different areas, right? Why aren't you doing this? Or why are you doing this? Or why, Lord, are you seem to be acting so slow? Or why are you doing, you know, not letting this happen? Don't you care? Don't, don't, uh, don't you know? I mean, what, you know, it's again, it, those kind of things fall in line with the, the why, why, why. And uh, a lot of times our Heavenly Father doesn't choose to ever answer the why question for us. And at first, and again, even think about this, if you were living there at that time, you'd think, well, why, Lord, do you let this guy continue? You know, now it's been 10 years. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then, you know, 20 years, Lord. It's been 25 years. It's been 30 years. And, and this guy, as we'll see, goes from bad to worse. Again, so bad that, that they were acting worse than those Canaanites and Perizzites and Hivites, all the ites, right, that were living in, that, in the land uh, 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 there uh, that they came in to conquer, that God said to wipe them out, just to, to get rid of them all. They were so bad and so evil and so wicked um, he basically was treat, say, said to them, they're, they're a cancer that needs to be cut out. Now, again, you know, I don't think any of us would argue to the fact that, you know, if the doctor gave us a, a, a diagnosis of cancer, 
You know, most of the things that they do is they try to just cut it out and get rid of it. You don't want it to grow. You don't want it to get worse or mutate or I don't, I don't know that much about cancer, but you know, from a little bit I do know, that's typically what they do. And, and if in that same kind of sense, and I guess, the, the, again, the, the analogy breaks down a little bit, but you know, they were so bad and their evil and wickedness was just a infecting everybody and everything in that area and continuing to spread out. The Lord said, that's just enough. And that's done. And he told them, you, you, you can't have them around because if you leave these people around at all in any sort of way or shape or form, that infection is going to uh, 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 affect you. It's uh, like the uh, Corona virus people, you know, wear those masks, you know, because if you don't, you're going to infect somebody and, uh, you know, you know, you can think of all those things that are going on today about whatever you think about it one way or the other, this or that or whatever. But you can imagine that, you know, there are those people that are paranoid about everything and get very mad when people don't do what they think is great. So they don't or helpful or important for them or spreading the infection or something. But Imagine that same kind of aim. These people are, you know, uh, were just so bad. The Lord said, "That's it." And um, again, God, God, God told them that the reason you're getting the land is not because you're so great; it's because they're just so wicked. And you better not head down that road. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Now, another question that might come to our mind is how could a, a godly man like Hezekiah who was a great and godly guy there's no question about it you know again much like David um, have a, a son that was such the opposite of him and you know you might scratch your head and say well how, how can that just be well it's just like that sin and wickedness is going on today, that sin and, and, and wickedness is happening, uh, you know, in this world, and it's sorry, and it's happening in our in our families today, and it's still out there, and it kind of does scratch your head as Lord, you know, why could um, why should you know how could somebody with such godly family and godly roots and godly parents and parents or grandparents or this and that that are praying for them and then just just head down this just wicked 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 road and, and again the the you know why lord it just doesn't seem to make sense but again it's one of those questions the lord you know uh you know doesn't always choose to tell us he gives everybody a free choice and a free will and and, and, and you'd think, you know, those good influences would just be, you know, so much greater than the bad influences. But in the end, he gives everybody a decision to make. Everybody comes on their own, on their own free will. He doesn't force anybody. And it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating. And, you know, I imagine if Hezekiah was alive, um, you know, he would just be heartbroken over that. And, um, but it does happen today. And Probably will happen and continue to happen until the Lord takes us takes us all home. But one thing I want us to see, though we have some of these why questions, is don't give up. As we'll see, believe it or not, as it, you know, we'll see in this story tonight. You know, and the title of it, you know, hope for the worst of the worst. Um, you, you know, 
there's hope in the end. And we'll see a little bit revealed about God's plan and why he allowed things to happen in a certain way. But, um, he, and again, he started out, he's 12 years old. Now, I don't, I, I just don't picture him, you know, uh, all these things are happening, you know, in the week or the two weeks or the two years or even the five years or maybe the 10 years after he's reigning. Uh, I believe all these things that we'll see here in a minute, what he went into and what he got the nation into were pretty progressive. You know, I, I, I believe he went from this to this and then to this and then to this and then to this. Um, you, you know, over the years, just farther and farther away from the Lord. And, you know, if you've been around for a while, you'll see people that, you know, when they start dabbling in this sin, it just typically tends to get progressively worse and worse and worse. And then they go over and do that. And then there's that. Okay, they, they don't tire tired of that. Then they try this and they go there and they do that and they do this. And, you know, I kind of imagine that's the kind of route that Manasseh took here. But uh, again, just opposite of his father, uh, wicked, worse, again, verse 9 tells us, than the people who were in there that God told Joshua and the people to get rid of in the first place and to wipe out, and, and, and again, a guy that reigns for the longest period of time. So it leaves us a, a lot of questions there at first. And then he gives us some details of his life here. Verse 3 says, um, For he built the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, he raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So basically, you know, as he's becoming king now, and again, I don't, I think this was a progressive thing, but some of the things he started doing was being influenced by those people who wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And basically, he starts to rebuild all these places of idol worship and sin that his father and, and those of his father's generation had torn down. He starts building them again. He's building them and building them. You know, his dad, and again, those that were with him and had a heart for the Lord and were a part of that whole revival, you know, just went through the land and just kind of knocked down and got rid of and burned up all this stuff. Now he's going back and, and building uh, replacements, if you would. And he builds them again all over Jerusalem and all over the land, lands of Judah that he had influence over, and they're, and they're, and they're spreading like wildfire. Again, as we go through this, this, this nation became an anything-goes kind of a place. I picture it as, um, uh, you know, modern-day Las Vegas, you know, where you can find just about anything all the time. And it's kind of a Las Vegas style. Now, there's probably far worse sinful cities in this world, just one that I can think of. You know, I know there are some that have reputations uh, probably just as bad, if not worse, and if that one, one of those pops into your mind, just maybe that gives you some idea of what it was like living under Manasseh's reign. It was just like that. And worshiping and serving the Lord just wasn't even on the menu for Manasseh. It just wasn't at all. And again, as we'll read, continue to read through these things, you know, we can see how much um, I believe the situation and what his kingdom look like compared to what our society looks like today. I think we'll see some striking similarities. I, I think 
you know, the same things going on in his day, Manasseh's day, that he was a part of and allowed to be uh, happen and, and, and move throughout the nation are certainly going on in, in our city, in our county, in our state for sure, California, and really are spreading throughout the nation. And I think we'll, we'll see a lot of similarities here. Um, I, I would, again, he's building these places up where people can go uh, to, to, to worship different things. Now, we look at Baals and wooden images and all that stuff, and the worshiping, verse 3, tells us the heavenly host and, and uh, you know, the stars and the planets and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they would build these high places outdoors. They would put these places of worship in, in big uh, places where they call them groves where a lot of tree were on top of the mountain. You know, I would just kind of liken that to people today looking at, you know, we don't have little statues and all this stuff necessarily, but, you know, that, that would just worship nature. You know how many people worship nature and our environment? Uh, they look at uh, that as something of worship. They do. They, they defend it with uh, 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 such vigor. They're always worried about the environment and and, uh, you know, and nature and what's going on with this and this is causing this problem and you get a smaller carbon footprint. And I'm not saying that we should disregard nature and, and, and our environment. I, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but, but again, around here, you, you do anything with nature or the environment and, you know, that's what you'll get put in jail for. Anymore, you steal the car in our county in particular, in our city, even in our state. Um, you know, the, it's, it's catch and release, they call it. They just pretty much arrest you, and it's no bail. It's zero bail. So you, you, as soon as you get arrested, they process you, let you go. And, and, and you read about it all the time in the news. People will get arrested three or four times a day. You know, the one guy uh, stole something out and they arrested him. Uh, uh, two hours later, he was, catching, he caught, was caught with a stolen car. He had just stolen a car. And then the third time they caught, I caught him, he was breaking into some sort of business. You know, within a you know 18-hour period of time. They just kept releasing him. And, and uh, again, just, you know, but if you did something against the environment, man, if I cut down one of these redwood trees... Or, heaven bid, I was uh, changing the oil in my car and some of it leaked down into the uh, stormwater sewer. You would, you would lose your house, you would lose your job, you would lose, <laughs> you'd be fined and imprisoned. Man, they, they would take that stuff seriously, right? And that's because it's worshiped. And, you know, how important our planet is, or nature, or animals, or our water, or this and that. You know, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and, we, and they, it just becomes all-encompassing. We need to preserve this land, and, and then they go out there, and they spend, you know, their money, and they give towards this, and they, and they walk around, uh, you know, one of the places that they've put these, you know, uh, bought that land uh, trust, you know, land trust or whatever for the environment. They walk around and put up all these, it's just, they're just worshiping the, the starry host. It's just something really of their own creation. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, they're worshiping the trees or the animals in the trees or the fish in there or the environment or looking up, you know, there's plenty of people that are looking up now that the Hubble telescope is going out and the new one's being launched here in the next month or so and oh let's talk about the star you know again it's just you know they're they're just idols and whether it's something or someone 
just, you know, people get all wrapped up and uh, why do you think People Magazine and TMZ and us and all these websites, uh, that's why, you know, these famous people have millions and millions of followers on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I mean, millions. They want to know everything these people are doing every second and they hold by their words. It's just, it's idolatry, right? It's just, they, they hang on every word. And so again, it's just something that, that, you know, we read here, we, we talk about that, but, uh, you know, it seems uh, when we update it maybe and put it into our context, we can see it, it's, there's just no difference. It just looks a little nor more normal to us because we're used to it and we see it a lot. And the same thing was happening in his days. And the Lord knew this would be a temptation to his people and specifically in Deuteronomy 4.19 and you can look at that there on the screen and it says, it tells his people when they're going to go into the land and when you look up in the sky and you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, you know, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. And he goes, you know, you're, you're going to, you're, you're, there, there is going to be a tendency within your nature to be amazed by all the things that you see that I've created. And your tendency might be to, to, to look at those with such awe that you're fascinated and you just, you know, uh, that you spend your time and your energy and effort and, you know, looking at that and worshiping that and spending time there and doing all this. He says, but you can't do that. You need to worship the one that I, I give them to you as, as, a, as a gift and to live and as a blessing for everybody but don't forget who created them. Don't forget who built them. Don't forget who put that together. Don't forget that one. But they had, and they had moved past all that. And it didn't end there, verse 4, and he also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. And he built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So, again, starts out just kind of, you know, worshiping, uh, you know, these different places and going off here and doing that. And, and then he starts, you know, building more closer to home in Jerusalem, probably. And then, you know, I don't know how it actually happened, but, you know, I picture it this way. All of a sudden he thinks, wait a minute, we got this whole big temple site over here. And wait, people are used to coming to the temple, and since we don't do any of that anymore, and it's just kind of sitting there, why don't we set up shop here in the temple? Let's just set up shop here, and, and let's set up our places of worship here. And they set, again, you can see the progression here. Let's just set it in these areas, in these courts outside the temple grounds. Now, here's a picture of of the, the, the temple proper, and you can see, you know, where it says the, 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 the stone altar or the bronze altar there, and see it says the upper court the, or the inner court where the molten sea and the, that's, that's kind of an, an area where the priests and the Levites would be, right? And uh, so that was their area, and they would bring their sacrifices and doing all that. So they set it up there kind of in, in the inner courts or kind of the outside area of the temple, normally where the priests would go. And 
there wasn't obviously enough. They wanted to do more. So even the area surrounded it, and if it doesn't really show it other than just calling it the outer court or the, the great court where, where the normal the people would normally go when they went to, to the temple service or they would go there for feasts or so forth. Now they're packing that area full of all sorts of worship. So, you know, the worship of the temple, worship of the true and living God had basically been closed down. Now they're filling the place full of, of you know, uh, of all sorts of other worship and idolatry going on there. And um, even the writer of, of Ezra, you know, who the Lord, or writer of Second Chronicles, most, a lot of people believe it's, it's Ezra the priest, and it could well be, but whoever the Lord used, you know, even, you know, you know, I feel like he just puts this in and says, this is, and he's doing this at the place where the Lord was supposed to meet his people. So, you know, he's totally disregarding that at all. This is the place where, where God himself said he will meet his people. You come here, I'm going to meet you here. It's the one place on earth that I that you can do that, and I want you to do that. And yet, he is, the temple doors are probably, again, shut at this point, And we'll see something change here in a little bit. And then, you know, uh, and he's setting up all this kind of stuff. Oh, you want to worship nature? You want to worship this? You want to, you know, do Vegas-style partying? You want to, you know, do this kind of stuff? You want to check out the stars and be amazing? Whatever it is. You want to, whatever people do. You want to start collecting this? You want to hang out? Whatever people chase after today and things or or people or passions or whatever you know it was a cornucopia of that you could find it everywhere around the temple there and this is where God's supposed to meet his people now that might seem bad enough but let's go to verse 6 also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom he practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So the next thing he does, or one of the other things that he's continuing to do now, and we talked about this, it's, it's human sacrifice. It was, you know, again, he's, uh, he's off, they're offering, uh, in this case, his sons, some of his own sons, and, and this, you know, Molech, this worship of, you know, you, you sacrifice your child and you'll, and you'll get blessed in some way. Um, you know, your crops and your fields will go good. Your, your life will be better. Um, you know, things will be improved. That was the whole idea by you're given this great sacrifice. Therefore, your life will be better because of this great sacrifice. We would call it abortion today. That's one of the things we call today, right? People say, well, uh, you know, if you had a baby, you know, you'd be tied down and then this and that, and you may not even be a good parent, and so you just need to get, you know, so your life will be good. Again, it's just there's nothing new under the sun. Or, or you know, people also sacrifice their children today, uh, yet yeah, not physically like this to put them to death, but, you know, literally, They'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll sacrifice uh, their, their children because they're chasing having more work. Um, you know, let's both get a job. We can get more bigger cars, have a bigger house. We both work to have all these things. 
and, and you know you kind of sacrifice the children, you know, and then you ch or you're chasing your hobbies or your interests instead of raising your children. And so, you know, we drop them off at the babysitter, or now that they're getting old enough, they just come home and take care of themselves, and then we roll in after work or after we go to the gym or after we play softball or go golfing or whatever it is people do, or hanging out with our friends for a few drinks down at the local watering hole, and then we come home, you know, sacrificing. Uh, uh, children for their own interests and their own time. Again, it's, uh, it, it happens today. People do that. And, and again, whether it's in the womb and, uh, and or, or as they grow up and they have children, but they're you know, not so interested in, in being parents. They just want to have children when it's convenient and they'd rather you know, have more stuff and chase hobbies and rather than spend the hard hours and time and sacrifice is actually raising the children. They, you know, I was just in the, in the store the other day, and, and here's, now where was I? There was a lot of children. Oh, at the fair. We went to the county fair uh, last week, and, uh, you know, I was amazed. I was, we were walking down one of the aisles, and, you know, a lot of people had their children there, but here's this, I mean, they, they couldn't, they had to be like 18 months, maybe two years old, but old enough where they could prop a phone up so this little, little, little guy was looking at a screen at, at you know, and at, you're at the fair. I mean, if there's anything that catches little kids' eyes are all the lights for the rides and the, you know, the, the signs for all the food things and the animals. I mean, I mean, that's the one place you think you wouldn't need any kind of screen to keep them entertained, right? Yeah, but you know now parents are just the, the, let's give them the babysitter. It's it's the phone or a pad or something like that, iPad, you know, or one of those kind of things. And, and again, it's just so we can we can focus on what we want to do, and they're entertained and they're taken care of. Uh, it, again, it's kind of the modern day version of what's going on here. Just children weren't valued, and, and I mean, look how mad everybody is with Texas passing that restriction on an abortion i mean they're just it, people are going violently crazy um you know uh, uh, about that and it just slowing that down at all um, people get that way they don't want anything to infringe on their pleasure or the way they want things happen in this world and it's only a matter of time before they direct almost all that attention onto believers and it's certainly coming that way and has but it's just only going to grow and, and not only that but you know the soothsaying witchcraft you know manasseh went all harry potter on us basically right he did every kind of weird and spiritist thing he could do again this is people trying to be spiritual without the spirit of god and it happens all the time today they want the feel good they want the uh, thinking about being spiritual but on their own terms being spiritual without the spirit of god you know they want to practice their meditation or their yoga or they're this kind of thing, or they're that kind of thing today, have this sense of spirit, spiritual type of thing that's completely devoid of anything to do with the Lord or the Spirit of God, the true spirit, right? And living spirit. And it happens all time today. So he's heading down on all those things, and again, 
you know, the Lord sums it up at the end of verse 6, and, you know, the result is he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And by the way, when we get to the end of Second Chronicles eventually, right, Marty? We'll, we'll eventually get to it uh, here in the next few weeks. You know, we'll see that God will completely say that Manasseh was the straw that broke the camel's back. In other words, it'll go back and say, because of the sins of Manasseh, this judgment comes from the ba- will come from the Babylonians in three different waves. But really, this is the point and what he did and led the people into and what the people got into, because it certainly wasn't just him, as we'll read at the end of this chapter, you know, uh, th- this was it. This was, this is, this is it. This is, we'd say, the, the straw that broke the, the camel's back. And, and I personally believe that the straw that finally drew the line and broke the camel's back is found in verse 7. And it says this, He even set a carved image, the idol which he made, in the house of God, of which he said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So now he gets to the point, instead of just being on the outside, in the the bigger court areas, on the inner court areas, now, hey, wait a minute, we got space inside the temple. Let's set something up in there. Now, the, the, the carved image that he's speaking about here usually... Um, refers to, it typically is referred to in, in the scriptures as, a, as the worship of Ashtar or Ishtar, or it's, um, it's basically sexual idolatry. It's where they practiced sexual, it was just, let me put it in our terms today, maybe that help you make sense of this. He went inside the temple, set this up, and it, was, it would be kind of like in our day setting up or hosting an internet pornography, porno site in the temple. Or maybe, maybe we say a strip club inside the temple. That's what he did. He, he, you know, in our terms today, he, he made the, the temple where, where the Lord was and, and turned it into a place where, you know, somebody, some pornographer makes all the pornography movies and then has them all distributed out on the internet or however they distribute them out today, mostly on the internet, I imagine, today. He set that up inside the temple. And again, the writer said, this was supposed to be the Lord's house. And now look at it. Look at it. Now, when we get to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapters 8 through 10, uh, you know, Ezekiel's a prophet uh, that comes a, later on, um, but he has these visions in 8 through 10 of the Lord actually le- leaving the temple. Um, you know, he is brought from Babylon because he's in, he's in captivity in Babylon, and the Lord brings him back and shows him 
all these things that was going on in Jerusalem. And I, I, I kind of I think this is the time he was referring to because it ta- shows a picture of the Lord. Remember the wheel within the wheel and the, and the seraphim and the you know, uh, flying around and the, 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 the throne of God above it. And it's really described in an awesome picture. But it talks about it being in the Holy of Holies. And then Ezekiel looks and the next thing you know, it's at the, at the door. You know, the threshold right at the door going outside the temple. And then, you know, Ezekiel, something else happens and you see him kind of on the outside of the court, on the gate, leaving Jerusalem. And then he sees it again a little bit later and it's, you know, it's going over the uh, uh, Mount of Olives and and it's gone. You know, basically showing Ezekiel that God's presence just is not there anymore. And it could very well be that that's when this took place. And, uh, you know, I, I... I kind of think it was that he said, okay, this is going on here. You know, it, it's just, uh, and, and you know, this is not a place I'm going to, you know, it's not a place I'm, I'm going to meet them. And it could very well have happened in some way there. But, um, and, and again, um, I spent a lot of time looking at his sin because it's, it, it's important to, to the rest of the story. And though, let, let's, let's continue in verse eight. And I will not again, Remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and its inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel." Lord said, I promised that you guys, when you came into the land, that you could live here for a long time, as long as you don't turn and act like the people who were here before you. And I know all this looks enticing. All this stuff is enticing, just like it's enticing today. Uh, the things people do and say, and even some of the stuff that's, that, that, that we wouldn't maybe necessarily classify as overtly sinful. You know, uh, but, but, you know, it, it can be enticing and we can get all wrapped up in that. And, and it's just like today, everybody's doing it. And, and uh, you know, and, and the Lord is warning his people back then as he does today. It looks enticing and, and you think, well, everybody's doing it. And if I don't go along with the program, you know, what everybody else doing is they'll come down hard on me. And, and we're facing that more and more today, right? Some people call it the cancel culture. But just think of, um, you know, just think of a, some of the, um, uh, what, what's that, uh, you know, on the, on the Emmys, one of that, that, that singer, she's a famous singer, and she made a little bit of comment about the whole COVID thing and uh, like, you know, how, how kind of dumb it was. Uh, at the at the awards and man they were just I mean she just made a little teeny comment and they were just hammering her right they came down on her hard um you know uh and I'm not saying neither here or there about her comment or about when it but I'm just saying is when people were disagreeing with what the party line is that they just you know what they thought it was they just came down and just all kinds of stuff saying all kinds of crazy things and and again, you know, that's the same kind of thing that was going on their day. You'd be shamed into doing it as it is kind of in our day. We need to be careful because it's enticing and we feel the pressure to go along with it. And if you don't go along with it, not only, you know, uh, you know, you're, then, then they're, they're going to, people are going to come down hard and be very critical of you and, and, and to say the least. 
Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I would have just written the whole thing off, right? I don't know about you, but maybe after the first five years or 10 years, I would have just written everything off, right? And, and, and you know, that would be my, you know, I just thought, that's it. You know, that is it. But again, that's not our Heavenly Father. He still wants their attention and to draw them back to Him. And verse 11, tell, I'm sorry, verse 10 tells us, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Now listen, there's some writings that we'll see. Of course, certainly saw it in Kings, Isaiah. Um, there was a number of prophets that were around this time that we have record of. And I believe there's a lot more out there that we don't have record of. That the Lord was trying to correct them and draw them back. And probably did it a lot, lot more than we have record of. But you notice it says at the end of verse 10, but they would not listen. I mean, he spoke even directly to the king and he spoke directly to the people, but they would not listen. So, because they wouldn't listen, verse 11, therefore the Lord brought upon them captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. So the people wouldn't listen. They turned their backs. Nope, we want to do it our way. We want to do our thing. We got our own program. No, we, uh, nothing to do with this. And the Lord says, listen, I love you too much to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to reach at you. And so, okay, if you're not going to listen this way, then I'm going to allow the Assyrian army to come in and get your attention. Now remember, this is the Assyrian army that the Lord miraculously defeated under his dad Hezekiah. Remember the angel went out last time we talked about it and killed 185,000 and the Assyria, the Assyrian army just pulled up stakes and packed it and went off. Well, some time has gone by now, his son's ruling in Assyria, and he comes over now, and the Lord allows him to come in and defeat Jerusalem and carries the king away, uh, again, uh, some of the people away, and Manasseh too, allowed to take the city now. He, he stopped him before, but now not, uh, it's going to take more to get their attention. And so uh, I'm going to take him to Babylon, and you can... Look on the map there, the upper city is Nineveh, where he came from, and he, he brings, uh, again, Assyria had rule over the Babylonian, or over the area of Babylon at this point, uh, and all the way over to Egypt, which is in the far left. But he brought him to one of the cities, and in, in, uh, the king did, Assyria, into Babylon there with a hook in his nose. And again, the Assyrians were famous to put a hook you know, through the roof of your mouth and out through your nose. Uh, maybe they did it a little bit different. Maybe they did some sort of nose ring through his nose and pulled them. I mean, a hook to pull you like they would an animal, right? Uh, I don't think we saw any bulls with rings in their nose when we were at the, at the, they probably don't do that much anymore when we were at the fair. But, you know, you get this huge bull and we were looking at those bulls, 2,000 huge animals, you know, out there at the show. And, you know, you put a little ring in their nose, a little tug here or there, you, get, you can pull a 2,000-pound bull around no problem. Well, that's what the Lord did and let him go about 600 miles from home that he might spend some time to think and to see. Now, we might tend to think 
that the Lord at this point had enough with him. And I'm just getting rid of him. I'm done. I tried reaching out to him. I tried everything. Now I'm just going to get rid of him. I'm going to let the Assyrians come in and haul him off and be done with this guy. Now remember, we talked about allowing him to reign 55 years more than anyone else. Why would he do that? Well, I think we get a, a good understanding here of why he did that. And verse 12 says, Now when he was in affliction, that means he's sitting somewhere in some Babylonian hole in the wall or something, in some prison, in some place, in chains, had as a hook in his nose, you know, 600 miles away from home. It says, He implored the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now, this is what I find amazing through all this. You know, through all those years and years and years and years and decades of rebellion, he repents, and when he repents... The Lord restores him. Uh, you know, again, uh, the Lord, he wouldn't listen to the Lord. And the Lord sent people to talk to him and to talk to him and sent the prophets and talked to him and talked to him. And I believe it was going on all the way up to the day the Assyrians were marching into, into Jerusalem. And he wouldn't listen to him. So the, the Lord says, okay, I'm just going to allow you to hit bottom. So I'll finally get your attention in some jail cell in ba Babylon hundreds of miles from home and, and not being around all this other kind of stuff uh, that you might actually see why your father worshiped me, Hezekiah, why he loved me, uh, what I did in his life, that you might remember all the things that you saw and heard from him and all the things that were said to you and that you knew here um, uh, that you might, might have the time and the place uh, to... to Bring all those things to mind that you might be drawn back to me. Now, I don't know about you, but after all those decades, I get, it's a good thing I'm not God, right? Because I would have just let him rot, <laughs> you know? And I think, and the reason we spent so much time going over all these sins, uh, there are several reasons, but that we might see, again, one of the primary ones is the amazing grace and love of our Heavenly Father. You know, we sing the song so freely and easily because we know it so well. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Uh, that saved a wretch like me. I, you know, and we go, we, what, right? All pops in our mind pretty easy. And, and um, when we sing that, you know, uh, maybe sometimes we forget how amazing grace is. Because we see it here in the life of a person that most of us would have said have gone too far did too much, allowed so much water to go under the bridge, there's just no way to come back from where, where, where you are. And that's just not true. It's not, it's not the heart of our Father. As a matter of fact, the heart of our Father, uh, one of the ways is expressed here in, in 2 Peter uh, 3.9, and it says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come or reach repentance. That is the heart of our Heavenly Father. That even after all those years, because, you know, the Lord's reaching him, trying to reach out to him, reach out to him, reach out to him, reach out to him, didn't give up, didn't let him rot, just didn't say, forget it, you've gone too far, you've done too much, no. And if there's hope for a guy like Manasseh, then there is hope for everyone else in this world. And it doesn't matter how far they've gone or what they've done, they are not out of reach of our Heavenly Father. And we need to remember that because Manasseh is a brilliant example of that. Everybody would have given up on him decades probably before this, but not our Heavenly Father. He hears his prayer. He answers his prayer. He actually sets him free and, and, they, and they let him go back to Jerusalem and give him some authority. And, and he heads back there and he, he's just amazed at what God did. And verse 14 tells us, you know, when he got back after that, he built the wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gahon and the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate and enclosed the offal and he raised it to a very... Uh, great height. That's probably the wall that was destroyed when the Assyrians took over Jerusalem, I, I, I imagine. Uh, you know, he's, he fixes that up and then he puts the military captains in all the fortified cities of, of Judah. You know, he's not going to serve the king of Assyria. And so he realized that we're, we're not going to do that. So, you know, we're going to do, you know, build up these defenses. And then most importantly, in verse 15 here, he says, and he took away the foreign gods. And the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them outside the city. Also, he repaired the altar of the Lord, uh, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. And so we can see a changed heart and his desire to lead the people in righteousness and so he gets rid of the old and the sin and all these things that he built for sin. And again, that's a, that's a true sign of repentance. Somebody that was once going in this direction now repents, turns around, and is heading in this direction towards the Lord. And, and again, uh, there, there's, there's many obvious indications of those things. And certainly you can see that going on in, in Manasseh's life. But it's going on in Manasseh's life. But again, not all the people are on the same page because verse 17 says, Nevertheless, the people still sacrifice on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So again, uh, you know, he wouldn't allow any sort of other uh, idol worship to go on, but the people still didn't want to. They wanted a religion of convenience, and that's what these things were, right? Oh, I was just reading in the USA Today, there was an article about these people and pastors going out in the United States to, to bars, uh, pubs, and having, uh, you know, this Lutheran gal pastor that was doing it here and all, you know, and then she would give them communion, whether, uh, and then all sorts of other stuff. There's an article in there going out and doing this, and, and you know, it was all, it was Jewish. Uh, there was, you know, supposedly Protestant, Catholic, and even Muslim. And then some of the things that they're doing, 
you know, because people aren't coming to church. And man, if you read some of those things, it just makes your head scratch and you go, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's just like worshiping in these high places today. It's just, it's, it's a religion of convenience. It's, it's alive and a well today. It doesn't really matter what the Bible said or what God instilled or what God started. You know, the people aren't really responding to that. So let's just, let's, let's, you know, let's respond to them and, and do what they're doing, but we'll put a little spiritual spin on it. Um, now we need to reach people. I, I am not doing that at all. And we need to go out and, you know, like, uh, again, uh, Marty, because you're sitting in front of me here, you know, the biker church and reaching all that community out here or, or going to, you know, the, the high school where Ethan is and trying to reach out to all those kids that don't know the Lord there or, you know, whether, you know, Halloween's coming up and we reach, reach out to the neighborhood and, you know, with tracks and talking about Jesus. We need to go out and, and certainly share the good news. But this is a religion of convenience. So he couldn't convince all the people to worship the Lord, but he wouldn't allow them to do everything else. And, uh, uh, you know, he, again, because everybody comes to the Lord on their own, not through another person, a king, a parent, a grandparent, child, a brother, sister, right? It's on their own. Well, let, let's finish it up. Now, the rest of the Acts of Manasseh and his prayer to God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the, of the Lord God of Israel, indeed, are they written in the books of the kings of Israel? And also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and trespass and all the sites where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosei. And Manasseh, so Manasseh rested with his fathers, and he was buried in his own house, and his son Ammon reigned in his place. So again, uh, a life of sin left its marks and its pain, um, but, you know, God drew him back. And of course, we'll see that the heart of the nation, sadly, wasn't moved like his heart, because his son Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, verse 21 tells us, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the, uh, of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done, for Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. And then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. So we see, you know, again, the life of sin and its marks and its pain, you know, had an influence, sadly, on, on his son who took, the, who took the throne and wasn't his turn to the Lord that, that, that grabbed his heart and his attention. And sadly, again, it was his own choice to do that. He chose to run after all the sin and its enticement. And uh, even though he knew, you know, what had happened with his father, it's just sad when they, you know, it's right in somebody's face and they just, they, they see the great change that the Lord has done in a person's life and yet it has no effect on them. And, and again, um, even the people, you know, there was treachery in the land now, all that sin, you know, the... The tide is pretty powerful now, and so even now his servants are rising up and, and killing the king. And uh, again, better not to start down that path than to go down that path and then, 
you know, um, see all the th problems along the way. But most importantly, we just see the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father and that we might know, we don't understand why, why, why. And some of those things are answered here. Well, Lord was trying to reach him and reach him and knew he was going to reach him and he was going to be patient, uh, you know, through that and continue to reach out to him. And if a guy like Manasseh can be saved, then, you know, we can trust that anybody that you've been praying for or you're looking at and you're seeing the lifestyle they're living in and it's been now a few years or, you know, a, a decade or two and, and you think, man, I don't, I don't know anymore, then we can just, just a matter of looking back to Manasseh and saying, you know what, there's hope. And Lord, you're patient and you don't want anybody to perish. You want them all to come to know you and that's your heart and may that be our hearts as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we do, we do hold that up, Lord, because, you know, I would have given up on Manasseh decades prior and um, seeing all that and just seeing how bad it got. Lord, it's just, uh, it's just almost shock. It is shocking, but it's almost just, just hard to even conceptualize or understand what he did. And you think, man, um, it couldn't have been more of a slap in your face than than what he did. That that a person couldn't just do more evil or wickedness towards you than what Manasseh did in that place that you know you said you would meet your people and uh, to set it up the way he did. Um, I, you know, just I. I Lord, there's, it just boggles my mind that you loved him so much still that even in that point, you were willing to extend grace and mercy when his heart was turned to you and you didn't give up to him. As a matter of fact, you, you allowed him to go hundreds of miles away and to be in that condition uh, that his heart might be humbled to give him that opportunity to turn to you. And Father, uh, again, uh, may we just... Remember that and continue to live our lives and extend that same kind of mercy and grace and love. And remember your heart towards people. And Father, be amazed at your goodness and your love towards us. And Lord, may most importantly those of us maybe that have kind of given up or we've seen things or we think that's just impossible now, we thank you that you remind us you're the God of the impossible and that your grace is sufficient and it sounds so simple when you put it that way but it is it's sufficient for everything and anything and we pray that that would just continue to spread throughout our lives into the lives of this world because we know your heart lord and we pray that we would continue to extend that to people father because that is an expression of who you are and 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 your heart of love towards people lord help us to reflect that for we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.